0: Welcome to the FPA's podcast, Assembly Point provides a collective space in which industry leaders can explore the most pressing issues in fire safety and share expert information and advice. Join us for the 2023 summer series as we hear from some of the most respected figures in the industry and continue to move the debate on fire safety forwards by identifying ways to work together to improve standards. Please be aware that the views expressed by guests are their own and not necessarily those of the FPA. We hope you enjoy this episode.
1: Hello everybody, welcome to the FPA's Assembly Point podcast, the concluding episode of the 2023 series. I'm Chris Miles, Commercial Director at the FPA and today I'm delighted to be joined by two guests, George Edwards, the FPA's newly appointed Technical Director, and Andy Miller, Lost Control Engineering Technical Manager at Allianz. George and Andy, welcome, and thank you both for taking the time to join me today. We're going to discuss a new fire safety assessment test for external cladding systems. That's been developed following a a research project conducted by the FPA, which looked at real world cladding fires and how they correspond with fire tests in laboratory situations. The project has identified a number of issues with the current route to compliance and resulted in the creation of a new document, RISC 501. That includes a new fire test and assessment method, which seeks to address the issues and is due to be released in November by risk authority. That's an annually funded research scheme, which conducts research on behalf of the insurance sector and is administrated by the FPA. George, you've been at the forefront of the research. Perhaps you could start by giving our listeners a, a brief overview of the of the fire safety assessment and why it was developed. What's behind it?
2: Yes, yeah, sure. Well, um, firstly, uh, thanks for having me on first uh, first podcast I've, uh, I've done done with the FBA. It was developed. I mean, um, there's never really been an appropriate test for insurers for cladding systems for combustible cladding systems. Yeah, there's the, there's the small scale test for. Non-combustible systems, but for comparing the risks between combustible systems, there's never really been been an appropriate test. You know, we've got BS8414 and BR135 at the moment, which have some relevance for for life safety, but they're based on a, on a rate of fire spread, and it's, the fundamental principle is a rate of fire spread of 15 minutes per floor at the outside of the building, and um, it doesn't allow uh, a reader to 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 differentiate between um, a system that's going to ignite and spread the entire building or a system which is going to ignite and then stop because of cavity barriers or just the inherent chemical principles so there's nothing in there that lets you differentiate between systems and uh, and it's similar uh, on the small scale tests as well with the SBI test which looks at a fire growth rate again it's that's looking at systems which ignite and then uh, and then grow but it doesn't tell you anything about the performance once it's spread away from the initial fire source and 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 so it's yeah, there's been sort of a fundamental issue there. There's, there's nothing really appropriate for for predicting property protection as to whether the system's going to engulf the entire building or uh, or if it's just going to ignite and, and burn a small section.
1: And and Joe, jo, following um, following Grenfell, there was a review of BS eight four one four. Did that not start to address some of the concerns?
2: Yes. So the, the so say, yeah, the one issue is the fundamental issue. The other is that yeah, there are. There are several concerns with BS8414 and BR135. Um, a new version of 8414 did come out in uh, in 2020. No one's actually using that at the moment because of some, I guess, political issues. But um, yeah, there's um, uh, BR135 is only available for use with the 2015 version. And the people who offer that, the, the building research establishment, have said that you know it's only applicable to the 2015 version. They haven't reviewed it for the 2020 version. And they said they can hand it over to BSI bsi aren't ready to to take ownership of it and um, they've set up a group for for discussing it but no discussions actually happened yet and they're waiting for some government research projects and so this is this is sounding very very long down the line before before that actually gets going so yeah there was some very good work that went into the 2020 standard Um, it's not 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 no one one can actually use it at the moment there's other issues of third-party accreditation so ucas the United Kingdom Accreditation Service, who accredit all the laboratories. They also aren't accrediting to BR135 at the moment, so the um, traditional route, was, which was 17.025, is um, no longer available. They've said they want to use a different route, which none of the test houses have actually figured out how to make that work with bs 8 Um and at the moment um, are, are there are no test houses third-party accredited to do BR135 assessments.
1: So, so be, before we go into the details of what what we're looking at in the future, then, so we've got some fundamental issues which you spoke about, some technical issues in the standards, some political issues. Sound sounds a, a a bit of a mess, and and you talked about at the start, insurers' perspective and 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 whether that was well catered for. Andy, maybe I can come to you and and if you answer, kind of concerns about cladding systems and the testing methods the current routes to compliance i suppose from a from an insurance perspective yeah, thank you, Chris.
3: Uh, first of all, thank you for uh, having me on your podcast today. It is also my first time as well on an FPA podcast, but really happy to be here. So thank you for inviting me along. I think the first point I'd like to make is that, as a general view, the insurance in- industry do support and promote independent third-party testing and standards, whether that be for a product, a service, uh, installers, maintenance and so on, because we're always looking for an independent sort of framework we can trust and hang our hat on, but I think it has been clear for some time, and, and um, obviously this has been um, George alluded to this already. That you know, the tragedy of Grenfell Tower, you know, has rightly focused minds, and there's been this ongoing debate about test standards and whether they're appropriate, particularly in the world of cladding systems, and you know, do the do the existing test standards um, involve real-world scenarios? You know, such as service penetration, such as you know, robust mechanical performance criteria being laid down for the panels themselves. You know, to make sure that when firefighting operations are in place, that they're not going to be falling off um, very quickly, and well, could be spreading the fire, but also danger to firefighters and also to um, those who are evacuating the building, perhaps. But all of these things, you know, around a real-world um, scenario, are, are crucial if we fully understand. I think the impact of fire on the built environment and develop more robust buildings to keep both people and property safe. You know, it is the right thing to do as an industry uh, you know, across all the stakeholders um, in this particular area. And you know, we're all on a journey with this. You know, whatever part we play in the
1: wider, what in the wider fire safety industry. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Andy. Let's then look at so we, we've established there there are some some areas lacking I suppose in the current system. The FPA and the risk authority supported by the the, the main insurers looked at this and and developed a, a, a new test regime a new test and assessment regime. George, you've wrapped that up in a, in a standard if I can call it a standard risk 501. What, what are the main without going too detailed technically what what are the main differences in in the proposed way forward with this with risk five or one between the system we've got now and and the, the future
2: yeah we're not going to call it a uh, an official standard it's a test and um, test method and an assessment method um combined and i'll come on to to, to why it's like that I know you don't want me to get um, too technical, but to explain the um, changes that, that we've made, I do need to explain a bit more of the, the specific issues that have been highlighted with, with the current test method. So there's issues with, with the fuel source that have been raised. You know, there's, there's, it's, a, it's a large wooden, wooden crib that's used at the moment, which, which, which is a, a very large fire size. But there's, uh, you know, it was developed uh, 20 years ago. The standard came out in 2002, and, and most of the development work happened in the 90s. So there's questions over, you know, is that fuel load still relevant today? And uh, and was it ever relevant um, when it was developed in the 90s? You know, what was the actual scientific basis behind that? You know, it's not not published and and, and we don't really know. Um, there's issues with the construction detailing. You know, uh, a lot of people have commented on how the way these systems uh, are built on uh, on buildings differs uh, completely to, to how it goes on a test rig. Um, in particular, we see a lot of areas that are overprotected. And, and looking at ways to, to reduce that and also the consistency between tests you, We can have systems with the same design principles that set up on uh, completely differently on different test rigs there's lots of sort of options available to uh to the installer and the system designer when they're testing as to how they want to interpret things and, and that leads to a lot of variability between tests there's uh, issues with the, with the temperature criteria i sort of mentioned again that the scientific background to that isn't really known um, you know it's mentioned that is looking at a rate of fire spread of 15 minutes per floor. But the background for where that 15 minutes came from is supposed to be based on, on, on the leapfrog effect. So um, it's comparing it to the effect of if, if one room ignited, flames come out the window and attack the room above, and then that room ignited, and then flames come out and attack the room above, regardless of the cladding system. Uh, that would take about 15 minutes. So the goal was not to uh, not to increase that with the cladding systems. But um, again, the, the scientific... Background behind that hasn't been released, uh, even behind the, the the 15 minute number, so so it's a bit unclear what what, what that is all based on. And similarly, you know, there's an exponential nature with cladding systems that, that you don't get with, with the leapfrog effect. The leapfrog effect um because it has to go up, reignite the room each time. It's it's um not quite as exponential as a cladding system, which as it spreads, the, the more it spreads, the faster it spreads. Mechanical performance, which which Andy touched on as well, and and we've um Seen uh, incidents and it's it's regularly reported of falling material interfering firefighting operations, getting in the way, landing on firefighting equipment, fire engines, and things. And uh, obviously, it's quite easy to see how how that could impact on on both life safety and property protection. And when uh, and, and we see that reflected in the numbers, you know, when when it's reported that material has fallen and interfered with firefighting operations, there's about 16 times more more fatalities per incident. So. So, so we know it has a significant impact and, and obviously theoretically you know, it's, it's very easy to understand why that would be. Uh, there's um, smoke toxicity as well, sort of an emerging issue in, in, uh, in all areas of, of fire safety and, and was highlighted um, quite prominently at the, at the Grenfell Tower incident and, and how that should be tackled. So that's, that's something that we've been looking into and researching and, and finding ways to, to bring that forwards. There's availability of test information, I think there was there was two major issues uh, that were highlighted here. One was hiding failed test results. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot of variance with fire tests and you can repeatedly subject the same system to a test and through test variance and also, as I said, by slightly changing the way you do the test setup, not in a way that would reflect a real building, but just how you go about it. Um, and you can have several fails and then get a test pass. And although you've had several fails, so the expected result would be a fail for that system... Um, only the one test pass gets reported, and so that's why everyone sees, and they don't really understand the uh, the risk behind it because that information is masked. And the other issue is hiding um, successful test results, so the reports aren't aren't widely shared. They're not publicly available, and there's there's clauses in in Br135 like the, the the results of the cladding system must be considered as part of the risk assessment for the building, but the reports are often not shared with the fire risk assessor so he's not able to consider all of the things that were mentioned in the test report
1: so 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 i can i can see. let me just dive a little bit deeper into that i can see there's some technical changes some additions some modifications to how the test is conducted how just on the last two points how does doing a different test affect whether the results are shared whether the results are hidden that's that's not addressed by doing a different test not not they and night.
2: Was well, it's uh, it's mandated um, in in the test standard that um, the results must be reported and several features uh, must be reported by the test house that's done it. So um, if you go on um, on test house websites at the moment, some of them are already doing that as uh, as part of a sort of goodwill thing. Um, in uh, in risk five hundred one, it's it's mandated uh, specifically what you must report and and how systems must be described to go on there. And now, all the things I mentioned we haven't addressed, we haven't addressed the um the fuel load which which I talked about, and that's because we we wanted this test to be conducted alongside b s eight four one four so you can do the traditional test um and while you're doing that you you include some additional clauses, which means you can you can do a risk five or one classification at the same time.
1: so this isn't sorry George, this isn't in place of eight four one four so eight four one four goes completely and is replaced by. Uh, risk five or one. What you're saying is, if you do a risk five or one test, you would also be compliant with eight four one four to satisfy current building regs, I suppose.
2: Yes. Yeah. Correct. So yeah, any risk 501 test would be compliant with eight four one four, but not necessarily the way around because the additional clauses. So yeah, you you could do it separately, but yeah, the the uh, the plan from our side was that people would do both at the same time and then you'd get your life safety assessment and you'd get your property protection assessment as well.
1: So, so for that's from a, a test lab perspective. From a, an insurance perspective, Andy, what, what what do you think needs to, to be done differently by, by other stakeholders rather than just us as the test lab or us, us as the advisors perhaps to manufacturers? Yes,
3: that, that's quite a big question, isn't it, Chris, you've asked me there. But <laughs> I think there's a couple of strands I'd, I'd like to um, sort of briefly mention. I think, yeah, certainly from um, our point of view in, in the insurance world and, and first looking at building owners, and um, you know, their architects in the construction industry, it is about early engagement with us um, is absolutely crucial when working towards maybe a new build, maybe um, a refurbishment programme of an existing building. Because in that way we can all work together towards the end result that we all want, which is a robust building that does, delivers business resilience um, for the building owner and, and, for all, and for all the interested parties, you know, including sort of firefighting in that respect. You know, to make sure that we, we do have uh, a building which has longevity. You know, will be life safe, um, but will also have that additional sort of property protection in place. That means the building will stand
1: up longer to fire and, and perhaps resist fire. Does that early engagement not happen now, Andy, or not enough?
3: Well, I'm going to say, yeah, we we do see some engagement. It's not as widespread as it should be. I think the insurance industry, you know, I'd include brokers here. We all have a key part to play here in reminding our customers that you know seeking early engagement is a good thing to make sure that we can all achieve the result that we want. I mean, you know, the reason for doing this is nobody wants any surprises, do they? You know, when the insurance covers need to be put in place. You know whether that's getting cover at the premium that the customer anticipates it's going to cost them or whether it's that actually that that's not looking quite right in terms of the specification we can have those early conversations to say actually you do need to make some kind of uh, alteration and it might be very minor it might be actually you're thinking of using this particular cladding system we know um, what the test results are from any methodology that might have been used actually that particular system might not be wholly appropriate for the building that you're looking to complete um, and we would advise you go down an alternative route and it might be from something that is combustible but you know stands up pretty good to testing. Well actually there's a non-combustible or a fire resisting alternative that actually why wouldn't you why wouldn't you use that? So it's about no hidden surprises really and, and so that we can sort of move it forward and every, everybody gets the end result that they want to. I think, you know, in terms of regulation, you know, if we look at regulators now, um, certainly changes post-Granfield Tower, Building Safety Act, that's gone, that, that's going to go a long way to improve the position in the construction industry. Um, time can only tell how effective that's going to be uh, and whether there's any additional legislation required. Of course, it's, it's all gone ongoing, isn't it, in the Building Safety Act. There's other strands that will be sort of implemented um, over the coming months, that I'm sure over the coming years. But one area that is absolutely critical to uh, for regulation, but also for any third party testing or methodologies or approval programmes is the auditing and the policing process, because clearly what you want to make sure is that whatever has been through the methodology, the test standard, whatever that might be um, in the test lab actually is mirrored um, in the real world. So what you see pass in a test lab or method- methodology where you get the test results, that's exactly what you get out in the real world. So it does what it says on the tin, so to speak. And you can only really achieve that um, through thorough auditing and policing processes. Um, so I <laughs> to, to coin a phrase and turn it around a bit, you know, the bite needs to be worse than the bark in a way, doesn't it? Um, it need, really needs to have teeth. You know, the insurance industry does have a part to play here in, in promoting and supporting third-party part, third testing standards regimes methodologies whatever phrase you want to use you know we do have a part to play in terms of supporting
1: that i'm uh, i'm sure our listeners would want me to dig a little bit deeper on the premium side of things and i, I, and I will do that i do have a question so so bear with us sure. uh listeners um yeah th- thanks thanks handy it's interesting the 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 auditing side of things, the verification side of things, because I spent most of my career with a with certification bodies and um, I, I see what advantages they bring. And actually, for cladding systems, I don't know that they exist, really, the, the schemes to support them as the insurers might want them or as the regulators might want them. And that's something I I'd personally be keen. and I'm sure the FBA would be keen to to advocate. Um, i'd be interested at some point george if you could kind of help us understand how risk 501 would support product or system certification such that insurers and regulators can can start specifying that
2: we, we've made some changes to risk 501 to to make it easier as well um so there's uh there's this focus on design principles in there so so uh, the, uh, um, the the client would have to specify, you know, the design principles, which would normally be done through for, for a design guide, and that has to be available for the test house. So at the moment, you know, they send in drawings for, for exactly what they've done for the test rig, but it doesn't really explain how they would then install that system on a building because, um, you know, you're not testing a specific building; you're testing a cladding system that's suitable for multiple buildings. So we've done that. Um, one of the ways we've done that is by creating a virtual building which specifies where the floor heights are puts them at realistic separation distances um, and that means that um, that the designer has to has to be consistent on every test because they've got to consider the same uh, the same building so they've got to consider the same features every time similar for the for the window opening or sorry the uh, the burn chamber opening at the moment where that is that gets treated very differently even in the government tests they, um, uh, which was MHCLG at the time you know they surround it with this thick aluminum pod which we would never see in the real world and so we've put clauses in to prevent that. Uh, we've also developed a, uh, a method for material characterisation. Now, this was to address um, uh, a few specific problems, but um, basically what the service does is that uh, any, any uh, significant materials that are sent for testing, we would also send off for, for small-scale um, chemical analysis. And then when, uh, when these products are approved and then put in a building later on, we're able to, at any time in that building's life, sample those materials in our test lab and and confirm that um, the materials installed in a building were were not significantly different than the materials that that we fire tested
1: i i I keep asking myself with all of these changes including the regulatory system but not just and and this is this is a, a, a prime example of that we're proposing to change a test method and i keep asking myself would if this change had have happened before Grenfell, would that have stopped Grenfell happening? And I have to say most of what most of the changes I've seen so far probably wouldn't have because people wanted to game the system or you know play around with the system. I don't, I don't think that's um, up for discussion, but the material analysis that you just talked about that seems to me to be a small aspect which really could have played a part if somebody had have checked by cutting off a small sample of what was delivered to site when it was being upgraded and done a check to say is this still what was tested in uh, in the initial type tests that perhaps at least has the possibility of being found out rather than somebody claiming this is of of this performance, this classification, it seems to me like a very easy change, which could come out of risk five or one, and then any specifications after it, uh, and any insurance requirements, any regulatory requirements. It seems to me like a a a, a good step forward.
2: Yeah, and uh, you know, it's not always. Um malicious intent that that materials change obviously you do you get test specials you get people sending off special special materials for testing that that they'd never use in the real world because they're too expensive Uh, but you know there's also continuous improvement that happens and uh, small changes that people make to the product that they'll make every year doesn't necessitate retesting the product but um, over time these build up and at some point they should get it retested but they don't quite realize when and so the product's staying on the market and it, and it's significantly different to the um, product that was originally tested. And there's also um, uh, sort of poor specification as well of products which is something we've tried to tighten up is, is the actual specification that goes in because like I say, there is variability in products in terms of thickness and also the chemistry that goes on. And and, and you know, that's something that also needs to be tighter to prevent the materials on buildings performing completely differently to, to the ones in a test.
1: So so a question to, to either of you. I don't know who who's best to answer answer this, but it almost sounds like utopia. This test method, then George, it's significant improvements on on what we've got right now. What once it's published, what's stopping us? What what challenges? What obstacles is the construction industry going to face when when adopting this? And how can we how can we move clad in testing and certification forward easily? From both perspectives, from yours, George, and perhaps from Andy's as well.
2: Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll go first. I, I wouldn't say it was utopia. I mean, uh, prior to Grenfell, the FBA was um, uh, fully supportive of non-combustible materials on high-rise buildings and, and high-risk buildings, and and we still are. That's still the case. Still, still fully supportive of non-combustible um, construction methods. But this was developed because you know people are using combustible. Um, uh, combustible materials, and, and there's been a bit of a change of tone from the FPA in several sectors, um, which is, you know, instead of um, just saying, you know, we, we don't support that, don't do that, we've tried to develop methods so that if people are doing things like building with combustible cladding, that we've got a way of, of uh, helping them make it safer, which is what this test standard would would do, and and, it, and it's similar with a sort of mass timber construction as well. You know, we've instead of just saying, you know, we don't support it, we don't don't think it's safe, we've Instead start doing research to to try and find ways and encourage people to, if they are going to do it, to, to do it in a safer manner than, than they were doing previously. In terms of the issues that people face, you know there is there is there's much more constraints here on uh, on, on, on the design and and the construction of it, uh, which is going to be difficult for 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 clients who uh, they want to achieve that to meet. That will go forward to uh, to installers for the building, approvers, risk assessors. You know, they, they do need to understand all of the constraints that have been put on, so that when it's on a building, they, they understand that it's, it's um, still the, the, the same as what was tested. But we have tried to make that much easier through the way the standard specified, to make it much easier for people to understand exactly what was tested and what needs to be replicated on a building, You know, which features actually, um, how, how do the design principles get interpreted, I suppose.
1: OK. Thanks, George. Andy, do you see any benefits from an insurance perspective of going down this this modified route and perhaps also the previous question what what challenges would it would it bring
3: yeah yeah i i think um just picking up on the challenges point first i, I think the key thing for me is that from sort of building industry perspective they might see it as a, a yet another test methodology standard whatever you want to call it where it's going to cost us money to put it through that testing regime. So it's about the promotion of it. It's selling the benefits isn't it that, uh, of this particular methodology um, and encouraging use of it. Now I think that falls to all stakeholders. you know if you feel there is real benefit in this uh, methodology, then uh, absolutely we, we should be pushing it, shouldn't we? you know everybody involved should be uh, should be promoting this. But that's my experience. Whenever um, a new test standard, a test methodology comes out, it can take time to gain momentum. And I think that's all about the promotion. It it comes down to sort of regulation as well, doesn't it? You know, referencing in regulation as a test methodology that can be used um, is always helpful because that puts it very much on the radar of the building industry. So that's how I'd sum up my sort of experience um, in the past. Um, with some of the challenges around um anything new if you like in this world. Coming on to uh your other question, I think ultimately it's, it, it it must and it should and I believe it will, you know, we can end up with more robust um as far as resilient buildings because we are looking at real world. So we are testing in the real world um and, and you know seeing what those results are and because if we're going if we' we're getting we're getting there in that respect then you know that does contribute to the overall resilience of a business um so it might prevent what what might have been a very serious fire um you know significantly disrupting those operations um of that business you know as we know um you know a significant fire can actually end a business and and I think we know that I can't remember what the latest stats are, but there is a figure, isn't there, that if you suffer a significant fire as a business, there's a very high percentage chance that um, you won't be able to recover from that. So, you know, providing more resilient, uh, greater resilience in build, in the building stock has got to be a good thing um, for business, for insurers, for all interested stakeholders. And also, you know, if you imagine um, a block of flats with, uh, you know, cladding uh, all up the outside of it, and uh, actually that building is much more resilient than it might otherwise have been designed to, then it does allow that sort of reoccupation of that building um, much quicker. So again, we get more resilience in the building. And of course, that does reduce the cost of any t- temporary upheaval, um, both in sort of human terms and also in financial terms. So I, I think just Summing up what I've said, there is that you know that this this may naturally help drive up property resilience standards across the building industry.
2: Yeah, and you um, you mentioned how uh, difficult it can be to get these standards going. And things that's uh, one of the reasons we've we've made this to be conducted alongside BS eight four one four, is to make that as easy as possible. You know, the, uh, I'm sure test houses there will be an additional charge for for, for some of the additional processes and additional sensors required, um, but but it should be much easier to uh, to test test alongside. Uh, it's going to be freely available on our website, and the FBA we're going to be offering it alongside any eight four one four tests. To um, uh, so it should be should be a, a, an easy transition for, for people to include that alongside any test. You know if if they um, if they want to prove that their system got got additional capabilities.
1: I, I I've um I, I'm not going to let Andy off lightly. I, I, he talked he mentioned almost in passing earlier on about premiums, and he, he just also mentioned a, a, about the adoption of the new standard and it's we all have to play our part. I'm pretty sure if, if insurance organisations said look you're building this tall building and it, it, if you could put a, a, a more a more robust cladding system on the outside, we'd give you a premium reduction. That would be a way to encourage people to do so. I, I don't know how it stands right now if somebody said it will be a completely non combustible cladding system, whether that has an influence or compared with 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 something else that's proven in, in other ways. I guess so so digging down into that question then Andy and sorry to put you on the on the spot. What impact would something like this have on on insurance premiums for buildings? Because that would be a, a driver for adoption. And follow on question: What more would insurers want to see to to help out with their um, risk analysis on a on a on a tall building? Okay. Yeah.
3: Um, no, that's a fair question, Chris, um, about premium. But as you'll know, I, I can't ever talk in specific terms. Um, each insurer will have its own appetite in respect of types of trade and buildings that they they may insure. But if we if we talk in general terms, the, the sort of the more robust testing, uh, such as uh, Risk Five Zero One, it'll give the insurance industry greater confidence in its assessment of clad buildings against the potential for fire loss. And consequently, you know, this would be reflected in the premium. I think it just comes back to the old sort of, uh, I suppose, the old point. The old point, that's probably the wrong phrase to use. But the, 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 the point of insurance and, and the, the general insurance principle that is those that contribute the greater risk to the pool. However you set that criteria within the pool, you're going to pay the most premium. So if you are representing less risk, you'll generally pay less premium if that makes sense. So as I say, I can't talk in specific terms, but these sort of test standards, method- methodologies, uh, and so on, if it means we have greater resilience in the building and less risk um, in that respect, then then clearly that, that's gonna be reflected
1: in the insurance premium. What you're saying is there's a series of, I'm gonna simplify it down into to kind of a checkbox almost. almost. I know it's more sophisticated than that. Hope it is anyway. That, and, and you're going through this and say yes, it's non-combustible cladding. Yes, there's escape routes. Yes, there's whatever, whatever. So the risk is is reduced, is mitigated by all of these factors. And this would just be one of those one of those factors that mitigate yeah. the the risk. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. Okay, and you asked me another question, didn't you, about what else we would want to see. I'm going to go a bit quite wide-ranging on this, if that's all right, Chris, because a number of things have been rattling around my head um, about this particular question. So, first point maybe to make is that that anything that provides greater confidence that the cladding system, or or indeed any sort of building type, is going to behave as we expect it to and in line with any sort of test results from third-party independent test standards. You know, that's got to give us as I say, that, that sort of uh, great confidence. So, so why wouldn't we want to see that? It's really when buildings don't behave uh, and much worse as anticipated. And, and really, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the sad example of that, of course, is Grenfell Tower. You know, that does unsettle the insurance industry and how it might treat a building type from an acceptance and indeed a premium perspective, just coming back to the previous point. So more real world scenarios, really. Now, with this um, particular uh, test methodology that's been developed by the FPA. In time I guess that may develop further to reflect more sort of real world situations. Perhaps there's a way of reflecting sort of wear and tear on the fabric of the building and how that might impact the overall risk. So we've talked about cladding systems in general but if we talk about I don't know for example a timber cladding system you know and that's treated typically with a fire retardant material you know after a few years of weathering how is that going to perform? So that 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 that's a question that often rattles around my head, and we've been talking about cladding, which um, may or may not form part of something called modern methods of construction, which hopefully um, people on the podcast will be familiar with. You know, we're concluding that mass timber structures, of course, you know, they can also fall into this general sort of modern methods of construction category. But in the same way that testing has been developed for cladding, what about similar? test standards that focus on the various types of modern methods of construction I appreciate that's a much bigger piece of work but you know you've got to start somewhere but if insurers have sort of greater confidence in understanding all the various systems in modern methods of construction and then how they how they behave in terms of fire in terms of flood in fact escape of water sort of general weather damage again you know that gives the industry the insurance industry more confidence I think it also does help to drive up standards over time and sort of following on from that, there's obviously competency standards around the build of, of such buildings, whether it be purely cladding, whether it be modern methods of construction. But also those those people that follow on, the trades people, you know, they get involved in repair and maintenance, electricians, plumbers, heating engineers. And, you know, it's not always clear what a modern method constructed structure has been built of. Many of them look traditionally built out of brick walls and you know tile slate roofing whatever it might be they just look like traditional buildings but as we know that's not always the case and there are some sort of inherent dangers there if you've got electricians and plumbers going in you know maybe using hot works who aren't fully up to speed with how that building what the building's made of and how it's been put together so that then leads me on to think well Perhaps there could be something like a handbook or manual, specific, specifically for those occupying these types of buildings, that they could pass on to trades, so that it's quite clear uh, what needs to happen in terms of repairs and maintenance. And the analogy I draw is, you know, the old Haynes motor car manuals that um, probably some of us on this podcast will remember. You know, and if you if you take that a step further, what about testing building resilience where there's uh, the emerging and developing renewable technologies installed, solar panels, battery energy storage systems, you know, they do add to the fire load, to the fire risk, you know, what about testing those um, uh, more so? So, um, yes, I've gone a bit quite wide ranging on that, Chris, but there, there's there, all of these things are sort of rattling around my head that perhaps could be in a better place than where they are at the moment.
1: Uh, uh, Andy, and for me, I don't think the insurance voice is heard enough. I think there's certainly opportunities for insurers to be listened to more, to be heard more, and all of those points there I I, I know are, are buzzing around the, the industry, whatever the industry is for, for fire, um, the construction industry, the energy industry, and I think for insurers, there's a role for the FPA and the risk authority, I suppose, to, to help insurers get connected into all of those discussions because they're ongoing and be interesting to see how, how insurers view on on those is george just andy talked about future developments of 50 uh, risk 501 and i know it's not published yet so we're kind of putting the cart before the horse but is what what is the scope for looking at once people have begun you using this test method in earnest what what's the scope for further developments
2: yeah, I mean, there's a few things there. Obviously, it's it's going to be updated periodically. We're not just going to put it out and, and leave it. Um, and if there's any sort of significant changes or new research that emerges, emerges, obviously that's going to going to feed into it. More specifically, uh, we've got a method in there for measuring and assessing smoke toxicity, but there's no no criteria in the standard at the moment. So at the moment, we just want it to be used as a tool for comparing cladding systems, and uh, and and customers then have the option of. Of picking one that is potentially less toxic from a smoke point of view, but as the area develops, um, you know the measurements are there, the data we gather there from test to test, and there's the uh, the option there in the future to to introduce criteria, uh, you know, if an appetite and the um, and and the research backing appropriate criteria um, emerges. The other thing we're doing is, um, although we've produced the standards, going to be available on our website, we are sharing the research with the BSI committee. So going forward to make uh, bs eight one three five which will be the the replacement to br one three five uh, like I say several years off, but we we are going to share the research that we've done. you know that, that's that's the most that's the most valuable bit here, and we're going to share that with them and and hope to uh, to make some significant changes because um, although they'll, they'll have a life safety uh, perspective, you know there's there's lots of changes here that, that we think are are a crucial and need to be made. And we're also going to share it with the European Commission. We're currently working on a uh, on a facade test uh, for Europe as well, so we're um, we're, we're involved in that. Um, I, it won't be adopted in in the UK, but we're still going to share our, our research with them and hope to uh, improve fire safety across Europe.
1: Interesting. It might be adopted in the UK. You never know where we're going with
2: European standards.
1: But yeah, it's good that BSI would be would be engaged because I think it helps certainly helps adoption if it's a British standard rather than than a, a I don't know a risk authority document. Um, that's good to see i can't believe how quickly this time's gone that's because andy's talked so much and took up most of it. um so yeah time is against us and obviously we don't want to um don't want to go over our allotted time so perhaps uh, let's come to you george first any any final points that that you'd like to make um in in summing up
2: um i just want to talk a bit more about um uh, in, insurer um, engagement and, and, and premiums and things. And, you know we we have engaged insurers the, the whole way along. Um there is a big issue at the moment with um, cladding systems between eleven and eighteen meters. So non-combustible systems, you know you'll you get nice reduced premiums for that. But all other cladding systems, uh, regardless of what there is, you know it's, it's, it's a bit of a struggle uh, is, is is our understanding at the moment. Uh, to get insurers to to recognise anything there, and so that's that's uh, one of the things that we're we're hoping this this will tackle and and give insurers some confidence. And I really just want to encourage insurers to be asking the question, um, you know, have you have you done this assessment? And I think that's the main way to get people to to do it and and, and get it out there, and then um, and then hopefully um people people can can reap the benefits um, of all of all the research that we've done putting into it.
1: Knowing, getting to know you, George, over the last all the time I've been with the with the FPA, I know there's a lot of information that you'd like to get across that we can't do in in forty forty five minutes. So I'd encourage anybody to to reach out to to George to contact George, if they want to learn learn any more about about this test method. Andy, from from your perspective, anything to anything to add to summarise. Yeah, I'll keep it brief. <laughs> I suppose it's sort of summing
3: up. You know, this is a welcome move from the FPA. And yes, yeah, so sort of um, further on from what George was saying, it's going to take all of us, isn't it, to sort of push this forward and promote it. You know, it's it's all the stakeholders, isn't it? There, There's ourselves, you know, in the, in the insurance industry, uh, fire industry, yourselves at the FPA, obviously through the risk authority. Um, as well of course so welcome move obviously more to do and when it gets released you know we, we all need to be sort of pushing and promoting it yeah I, I think that's all I'd like to say really in summing up
1: wonderful thank you thank you Andy thank you George it's been really fascinating and as I said just just before we can't cover all of this in, in 45 minutes and do appreciate there's a lot more to be said look forward to uh, to seeing the release of, of risk 501 easy to remember think of the the famous genes in November and um, yeah you'll be able to access this on the on the FPA website once again Andy George thank you very much for your for your
0: time. Thank you for listening to the FPA's assembly point podcast for previous episodes or more guidance and resources on reducing the risks of fire please visit the fpa.co.uk. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button for future episodes. And if there is a topic you would like to hear discussed, please get in touch.